This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 204. Greetings, Metamorphs! Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm Chris Lester, the creator of the Metamorph City story universe. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorphcity.com. Each week, I share a piece of my fresh new fiction with you and keep you up to date on my life and my writing. So let's get right to it. Here is this week's story. Today, I'm bringing you Chapter 62 of my Metamore City novel, The Lost and the Least. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 143 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. In last week's episode, Kate, John, and Morgan faced a new and unexpected threat inside the Brotherhood base. The tunnels were rapidly filling with water, the result of a hole bored into the side of the underground tunnel when Captain Shaw made their escape. A panic-stricken Morgan fled from the running water, one of the few things that can destroy her as a vampire. Kate and John raced after her toward the base's front entrance, only to find that the cult's defenders had used explosives to bury it, a last, desperate attempt to escape from the immortal wizard Murakir. With the other exits already sealed by Murray's earth magic, our heroes found themselves trapped with the few surviving cultists, a bunch of scared uni students whose leaders had either been killed or left them to die. Kate found Morgan frantic and nearly incoherent, her vampire instincts screaming at her about the danger of the approaching water. Kate's words proved useless for snapping Morgan out of it, Responding to a sudden, desperate impulse, Kate grabbed Morgan and kissed her, full on the lips. Kate herself was nearly as surprised by the kiss as Morgan, and to her own bafflement, she found herself enjoying it. With Morgan's attention now very much on her, Kate gave her a plan of action. They needed to get everyone back to the summoning chamber, where Jared had been imprisoned and the shackled god had nearly entered the world. The chamber was higher than the river, Kate pointed out, so even if the rest of the tunnels flooded, they would be safe there. With John and Morgan's help, Kate rounded up the surviving cultists and got everyone to the summoning chamber before the water got too high. As they sat in the chamber, trying to call for help on a handset radio, the water filled the staircase below them and began to seep into the chamber. Apparently the room wasn't quite as high as Kate had supposed. Kate called on the aid of the water spirits that Murakir had summoned to help her earlier. The spirits went into the water and created a force field that held it at bay, stopping it from flooding the chamber. Unfortunately, that meant they were no longer lending their strength to Kate, who nearly collapsed with exhaustion. They continued to radio for help, but the first person to arrive was not from MCPD or the Brotherhood. A hole opened in the roof of the chamber, and Murakir floated down into the midst of the terrified cultists, intent on killing them all. But Kate got in his face, 
and though she could barely stand, she delivered an ultimatum. No one else dies today. You want to kill them? You'll have to kill me, too. Murakir was driven to baffled, frustrated anger by this display from Kate. He couldn't believe that after everything the cultists had done, Kate was still trying to save them. They were lost souls, their hands stained with the blood of the innocent. They were monsters. Kate stared him down, as once more she remembered the thrall she had killed in the parking garage, a woman without a face. We're all monsters here, she said. As Murakir looked at her, Kate saw his anger and bitterness cloud over with uncertainty, then a deep weariness. Then Murakir turned his back on her and left, disappearing through the hole to the world above. The Lost and the Least A Novel of Metamore City Written and read by Chris Laster Chapter 62 Soon after Murakir's departure, Kate heard the comforting sound of approaching police sirens. Michael and Captain Montgomery arrived with a small army of uniformed police officers, cobbled together from half a dozen precincts where D.A. Schubert had people he knew he could trust. One of the patrol cops had a coiled rope ladder in the back of her skimmer. For reaching people, she said, who had fallen into difficult places— so John and the prisoners all climbed out, one after another. Morgan had to carry Kate on her back, and it was all Kate could do just to hang on to her. Morgan didn't seem to mind. Once they reached street level, Captain Montgomery quickly debriefed Kate and Morgan, and the officers with him took custody of Celsus and his people. Murakir was nowhere to be seen. The cops cordoned off the crime scene, secured the prisoners in a pair of police vans, and settled in to wait for D.A. Schubert and the CSI team. Once he was satisfied that Kate and Morgan were in good hands, John borrowed Kate's skimmer and went to obtain breakfast for everyone. If anyone noticed that the incubus was taking off in an unmarked police vehicle, they didn't do anything to stop him. Donuts and coffee, apparently, could cover a multitude of sins. Kate sat on the passenger side of Montgomery's skimmer with the seat reclined back, Morgan watching her closely from the rear seat. A sweltering blanket of humidity still covered the street, even near dawn, and Montgomery had cranked the air conditioning to maximum. "'Do you have any idea why the tunnel's flooded?' Kate asked. Montgomery tapped his claws on the dashboard. "'MWS says there was a big breach in the main river pipe away south of here.' Somebody just cut a hole in it somehow. They're trying to plug it up now, but Eli only knows how long before they can pump out the tunnels. Could be days or weeks. Running water, Kate sighed. It's going to wipe out every trace of magic left in those tunnels. Not to mention what it will do to the bodies, Morgan said. I dare say getting any hard evidence from this crime scene is going to be next to impossible. What's the word from Schubert? Kate asked. Did Will and Lizzie give him enough to prosecute? The side of Montgomery's lip curled in a half-snarl of irritation. 
I have no idea. We've had no contact with Schubert since he called the meeting. He should have been here. And so should Callie and Lizzie, Kate thought worriedly. Damn it, what happened to them? And for that matter, what happened to Tamlin? Kate thought about what Montgomery had said about the river. That hole in the pipe didn't happen by accident. They must have known Mercure had them boxed in. They weren't just destroying the evidence. Someone got out. Morgan's eyes widened. You think they took Tamlin with them? Probably. They think he's the savior or something. They're not going to let him drown. Or let Mercure kill him. Montgomery's thoughts seemed to be running in the same track as Kate's. I'll put in a call to the Lothanasi. Maybe they can help us keep an eye out for Dr. Tamlin. He snorted. <sighs> Safe to say we won't be calling SID for any more missing persons for a while. Kate felt a fresh stab of guilt and anger. Does anybody know where Captain Shaw is? If they do, they aren't talking. If Shaw was part of all this, they're probably holed up somewhere quiet and waiting to see how bad the damage is. The Brotherhood didn't survive this long by being stupid. No, Kate thought, with sudden horror. They survived by threatening people into silence. Shit. Cap, we've got to get you out of the city. When the Brotherhood realizes you broke the deal... I'm not going anywhere, Montgomery growled. Martha's gone to stay with friends out of town, and the world net's going wild with Pirelli's video. If they take a swing at me now, it'll be like pouring gasoline on a fire. He reached over and squeezed Kate's hand. Don't worry about me. We've got some time and space to act, and you set them back on their heels tonight. If we keep up the pressure, we can put these people out of business permanently. Kate met his eyes for a second, then looked away. I hope you're right. A uniformed officer came up to the driver's side and tapped on the glass. Montgomery rolled down the window a few centimeters. Yes, Corporal? Marcy called for you, sir, the officer said. She says you should turn on your scanner. Montgomery frowned and nodded once in thanks. As the officer left, he flicked on the radio and switched over to the dispatch band. The band was flooded with chatter, so much so that it took several minutes of careful listening to even make sense of it. Calls were coming in from all over the city. Reports of shootings, firebombings, skimmer crashes, armed robberies, all happening at once. Emergency services were overwhelmed trying to respond to them all. Several precincts had called for backup from special investigations, but no one could reach Captain Shaw. Lieutenant Jaguer was trying to field the calls in Shaw's absence, but Kate could hear the stress and fear in her voice as she tried to make sense of what was happening. Blood and ashes, Morgan whispered. The city's gone mad. Kate frowned and cocked her head, listening more carefully to the messages coming across the scanner. Cap, she said slowly, you mind if I use your computer? Montgomery quirked an eyebrow, but he pushed a button on the control panel, and his police-issue terminal unfolded from the dashboard in front of her. Kate called up the mapping program and started entering in the addresses where the attacks had been reported. After entering the first ten, she sat back and stared. Holy shit! Morgan leaned in over her shoulder. What is it, darling? 
Kate rotated the screen so Morgan and Montgomery could both see it. The sights of the incidents appeared as glowing red dots against the green lines of the city map. Look familiar? Montgomery frowned. I'm not sure. Kate grabbed the wire frame of the model and rotated it, switching from a top-down to an isometric view of the city. All of the glowing points were now clearly in the third and fourth skyway levels. How about now? Morgan's eyes shot wide open, and she covered her mouth with her hand. Oh, dark mother. Montgomery leaned in and squinted at the map. And then it clicked, and his jaw fell open. Cooley Tower? Morris Tower? Drowling Tower? Oh, Eli, these are the people from my list. All the Key and Arch alumni. Everyone Jacob and I connected to the Brotherhood. Gods, Kate breathed, her mind racing. Who's doing this? How did they know who to target? Who else had a copy of those files? she asked. Before he could answer, Morgan's hand shot out and gripped Montgomery's arm. My parents, she said, her voice coming out sharp and brittle. Were my parents on your list? Montgomery hissed with pain, and his claws extended by reflex but he held himself still. No, he said, through gritted teeth. Your grandfather, one of your uncles. Not your parents, I swear it. Morgan released him, then turned her angry, terrified gaze on Kate. What happened at Drowling Tower? Kate tapped a few buttons on the computer and brought up the priority message list. She scrolled down, found the Drowling Tower call, and pulled it up. Fly-by shooting. Someone in a light flyer shot up an apartment on the north side. She winced. Looks like they used a machine gun. Morgan had the back door open and was out of the skimmer before Kate had finished speaking. She opened Kate's door, caught her hand, gripped it hard. I'm sorry, darling, she said, the words spilling out in a rush. I have to go. I have to make sure they're all right. Kate squeezed her hand back. Go. I'll be fine. Morgan released her hand, turned as if to go, hesitated half a second, then leaned in and kissed Kate hard on the mouth. Love you, she whispered. She was gone before Kate could say a word. Silence hung in the skimmer for a long moment. Montgomery cleared his throat. <clears throat> well, that's new. Kate felt a burning sensation flush into her face, her ears, even down over her neck and chest. Yeah, that's kind of a long story. I've always liked Morgan, Montgomery said thoughtfully. I never thought she was your type, but I can see where you'd be good for each other. Oh, gods, Kate moaned. Please, can we not have this conversation right now? Or ever? Montgomery chuckled, but he said nothing further. They listened to the police scanner together in silence. Kate added each new incident to the map. Positive IDs started to come in on the victims. Everywhere the pattern continued. Over the course of the next hour, nearly every suspected Brotherhood member in Montgomery's files had either been killed or injured or had their homes and assets destroyed. 
And yet, incredibly, no bystanders had been hurt. The degree of coordination in the attacks, their surgical precision and focused brutality, were like nothing Kate had ever seen before. Is Merc here doing this? Kate asked, after a while. Montgomery frowned, considering the question. Some of it, maybe. Definitely not all. Too much is happening at once, and Murakir doesn't have an army working for him. Kate looked at the growing list of priority messages with a sickened feeling. When we talked about shutting these bastards down, this isn't what I had in mind. Montgomery's eyes drifted over to the police fans. Celsus and the others weren't visible from here, but Kate could imagine them sitting inside those reinforced steel boxes, wondering what would happen to them. They don't know it, Kate thought, but they were the lucky ones. You did good tonight, the captain said quietly. I know it doesn't feel like it, but those men? He nodded toward the vans. They'll face justice because of you. Real justice, not this... this madness. He flicked a hand toward the police scanner. That's down to you, Katie. You got Murak here to back down to spare their lives. I wouldn't have thought he'd do that for anyone. I don't know why he did it, Kate said wearily. I said he'd have to kill me too, but I didn't have the strength to fight him. He could have just pushed me over, killed them all. Don't know why he didn't. It's a good question, Montgomery said. I suspect the answer will be important. Don't be surprised when he contacts you again. I don't want anything to do with him, Kate said, surprising herself with the venom in her own voice. The effort of it seemed to tire her out even more, and she sank back into her chair. It's funny, she said, after a moment. I used to think if we could just kill the bad guys instead of arresting him, it would be easier. <laughs> I even told Michael once, Prophet help me, I'd wipe them all out if I could. She shook her head marveling at the arrogance and naivete of her past self. It's different when you kill somebody for real. You feel... feel the weight of it, I guess. Or you should. Montgomery did not look at her as she spoke, and Kate was grateful. It was easier to talk about this without someone looking her in the eye. You shooting that thrall isn't the same thing as this, he said pointing at the scanner again. This is murder. Eli knows they might have it coming, but that's for the courts to judge, not us. But a cop does have the right, hell, the responsibility, to defend herself and the people around her. That's what it means when you take up the gun and the badge. I know. Kate bobbed her head in a small nod. Two tears ran down her cheeks as she did so. And I think... I think maybe I can't do that anymore. She looked out the window. I'm a cop. I don't know how to be anything else. And now I don't know how to be that either. The captain's big, heavy hand settled on her shoulder. That's an important thing to realize about yourself, he said gravely. But don't rush into any decisions yet. Give yourself time to integrate what you've learned. Yeah. Kate looked up at him, then away. 
I'm sorry I didn't listen to you before. You were right. Water under the bridge, Montgomery assured her. He bucked her lightly under the chin with his fist. You're good police, Katie, and you're good people. You'll find your way. Kate smiled through her tears, and it took her a moment to find her voice. Thanks. Just then, she spotted her unmarked cruiser descending from the skyway above, blithely ignoring traffic regulations in the process. As it settled to the ground in front of her, she noted with surprise that there was a second man in the passenger seat. She thought about getting up to investigate, but her body vetoed the idea, so she just watched with curiosity as John and the other man got out. They had four large-to-go carriers of coffee and a small mountain of donut boxes, and for the next several minutes the scene resembled feeding time at the aquarium's shark tank. Eventually, the two men got free of the crowd of hungry cops and made their way over to Kate. John opened her door and passed her an apple fritter and an extra-large cup of coffee. "'Prophet bless you,' Kate said fervently, around her first bite of pastry. "'That seems unlikely.' John flashed his million-mark smile and gestured at the other man. He was tall and blonde and built like a street-level mercenary— and his clothes looked like they had seen a rough night. Ms. Linder asked me to bring you this gentleman. Fair warning, I think her techies are now tracking your skimmer. Kate frowned. Did she say where she was going? No, and I don't think she wanted company. Well, that can't be good. But Kate filed the thought away for another time. She turned her attention to the other man. You're a friend of Callie's? The blonde man smiled, a small and reserved expression. More a friend of Lizzie's, actually. Now that Kate heard his voice, she recognized him. Schubert, she cried, and extended a hand to him. He gripped it warmly. What's with the Mundy look? A long story, Schubert said. Apparently your cult had a lot of cops on their payroll. Ms. Linder made a bargain with some dangerous people to get us away from them. She thought it would be easier if they didn't know who I was. He shuddered visibly. And now I believe her. Montgomery leaned in across Kate's seat, looking concerned. Wendell, have you been listening to the scanner? Schubert sighed heavily. Yes. Officially, I have no more idea what's happening than you do. A cold feeling began to grow in the pit of Kate's stomach. And unofficially? Schubert looked like a man at war with himself. His eyes fell to the ground between him and the skimmer. Ms. Linder traded information to a casino manager named Franklin. I didn't understand everything they talked about. They used a lot of street jargon. The negotiations went on for a while, but I think she was feeding intelligence on this brotherhood to the syndicate. Slowly... Kate sank back into her chair. The syndicate did all this? She looked back at the long and still-growing list of targeted savagery. In one night? It makes sense, John said quietly. The Brotherhood challenged Malcolm directly when they took those prostitutes. They made him look weak. If he let that go unanswered, it would invite more of the same. 
especially with the White Widow breathing down his neck already, Kate said, putting the pieces together. He's warning her off, showing her what he can do when he pulls out all the stops. And Callie gave him the intel to make it happen, she thought. Intel I left sitting in the middle of her freaking headquarters. Which leads to the question, Schubert said, eyeing Montgomery. What do we tell the brass? Montgomery looked at Schubert, then back at the computer display. Kate could see him running the calculus in his mind. The syndicate was flouting law and order on a scale they had never dared to before. But they were doing it to target the Brotherhood, and only the Brotherhood. Elite power brokers who had quietly sponsored terror and death for generations, who had thought themselves untouchable, who had killed Montgomery's partner and threatened everyone he loved to force his silence. Those were the people now bleeding and dying at Malcolm's hand. For the moment, at least, the pain and terror and loss they had inflicted on Metamorph's poorest and weakest were being visited on them in turn. And the only two police officers who knew what was happening were sitting in Captain Montgomery's skimmer. Cap? Kate asked, softly. How do you want to play this? Montgomery's eyes turned on Kate, and in them she saw the fierce, private love that drove him, and she knew that now, just like twenty-seven years ago, Kate herself was included in that love. The Brotherhood had threatened her, too. Montgomery turned to Schubert. Tell the Commissioner that we will do everything possible to find the perpetrators of these attacks and bring them to justice. He smiled, and the expression was as cold and hard as permafrost. First thing tomorrow. As you can see, we're a little busy. And that's the end of Chapter 62. Come back next time, when John takes Kate home after their long ordeal, and the two lovers have a serious talk about their relationship. John Irving said, Writing a novel is actually searching for victims. As I write, I keep looking for casualties. The stories uncover the casualties. So put on some nitrile gloves and hand me that evidence bag. It's time for the weekly writing report. I wrote 2,241 words this week, over the course of 3.5 hours, for an average writing speed of 640 words per hour. As of Friday night, I've gone 357 days without breaking my chain. As I mentioned in last week's episode, this week I traveled to Charleston, South Carolina, for a microbiology summit. I learned a lot and had an amazing time, and I'm looking forward to bringing what I learned back to my team to help us get better at our jobs. Unfortunately, the trip wasn't so great for my writing. I did bring my tablet with me so I could work on my stories, but absorbing that much information each day took a lot out of me, and I didn't have much left by the time I got back to my hotel room. I worked on some scripts for the podcast, and I wrote an essay for my church newsletter, but I had a hard time switching gears to work on fiction. 
I did make a little more progress on All the World of Fire. The story is now in Chapter 11, and I'm hoping that I've worked through the spot that was giving me trouble. I guess we'll find out soon enough. This week I'm excited to share a new podcast trailer. Let's Be Legendary is a Dungeons & Dragons actual play podcast in a steampunk fantasy setting, and it is phenomenally good. Now they're getting ready to launch their second season, and it promises to be even bigger and better than the first. Here's the trailer. In the last season of the Feywild West, a door opened into a world of outlaws, hidden dimensions, and two heroes following the road of revenge and their mysterious heritage. Their adventures introduced them to new allies as well as fearsome enemies, more questions than answers, and an understanding that they only reached the tip of something much larger than themselves. But this story is Nova. Welcome to Season 2 of the Feywild West. How did you get like this? I... I don't know. You can't send me back, Celine. Not yet. Why do you seek revenge? You can ask me that. After what they've done? What they will do? You can't trust them. The 42nd are here to help us. Something isn't right. Tell Walker to get his ass down here. If I'm right... You missed one. I didn't believe him. What kind of person makes a deal for someone's soul? I'm so sorry, Ray. I'll give her soul back if you take care of this small thing for me. Children are disappearing and dusk down. Isn't that where the Venasi are based? My name is Lorelai, and I have come to join the Venasi Order. Welcome to the Shadow Realm, honored guests. The other kids call me Red. How long have you been here, Red? They are all armed with silver. Disgusting dog. Talia Gray, Celine Argent, you are both under arrest. Season 2 of the Feywild West premieres on October 2nd, 2019 on the Let's Be Legendary podcast, with patrons as usual getting access to the episodes early. Let's Be Legendary is a queer-run podcast that releases once a week. We're able to maintain this schedule due to the amazing support you have all given us. Please go to iTunes and leave a rating and review to help us navigate the algorithms and allow others to find us. Spreading the word on social media doesn't hurt either. And if you like our podcast, we'd love to know why. We're on all major social media platforms, and we have our own Discord server. We spend a lot of time there. If you'd like to help us out more, consider becoming a patron on Patreon. You'll get access to a ton of exclusives, including Bonus Round, a campaign run partially by our patrons. Until Season 2, stay legendary. You can find Let's Be Legendary at letsbelegendarypodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Season 2 starts on October 2nd, so now's the perfect time to jump in. One final programming note. There will be no episode next week. Mel and I are leaving next Sunday to go on vacation. We'll be traveling to our old stomping grounds in Livingston, Montana, and making a few touristy stops along the way. This is my first trip back since we left there three and a half years ago, so I'm looking forward to catching up with some friends and seeing Yellowstone again. 
I'm also planning to spend some of the time in a writing retreat, when Mel is off doing her photo shoots. You can follow along with our trip on the Metamore City Discord server. I'll post updates there throughout the trip. Thanks for your patience, and I look forward to bringing you more fresh new fiction when I return. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255-082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook. And my Mastodon handle is at author Chris Lester at wandering.shop. If you like this show, take a minute and leave me a review in Apple Podcasts. It makes a big difference in helping people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fiction, fresh off the writing desk. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2018 and 2019 by Chris Lester and the Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.